This is a teaching message from Church of the Living Water of Austin. Amen. Amen. So we are embarking upon a new teaching uh, after the teaching that we just had on death and understanding that. We are embarking upon a new teaching, and I'm so excited. I know we all we always say that we're excited about the word period, but we're most excited about God giving us 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 yielding our vessels, ministers yielding our vessels to God, taking the time to meditate, to pray, to study, um, so that we can gain all that we all that God wants you to have. And so that's why we're excited. That's why we get excited about the Word, because we're excited about the Word itself, but we're excited about the change that it can produce. It can produce in your life. If you would hear it, you would receive it, you would accept it, you would obey, you would apply it, then that's, that's the part of the excitement is that we, we, know, we know what God's Word can do. We know what it can do, but will you allow it to do in your life? And, and, and us seeing it done in the lives of the believers, that is, is, is what is key. And so, so this is the teaching that we are, are, are going to embark upon, and that is um, ministering to the family, ministering to the family, spirit, soul, and body. And I am so grateful and so thankful to be in a ministry under the leadership of a pastor who hears from God and who understands and as she hears from God, she knows what the people need. God tells her what the people need. And then she puts things in place to make that happen. So we are so grateful for that. And, and, and again, I'm just excited about, about this and being able to, the, having the opportunity to be able to kick this off because I think this is going, this is going to be beneficial and, and, too, and there are not enough churches in my in my opinion I've ne- no I have not been a part of every church no but uh, just from the representative group of, of churches that I've attended churches that I belong to I would say that the church does not do enough teaching spirit soul and by ministering to the whole person we need to minister to the whole person. And a lot of times we try to, most churches just minister to the spirit. You know, we want to get you hyped about the spirit and what God is doing, you know, in the spirit. And, and, and that's fine. And that's fine. But we operate in this natural world. And so as we operate in this natural world with natural things going on, it is important that we get teaching on how to navigate life. Just navigate life, period. And so uh, and that's why, I, again, I'm so excited and, 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 and have the opportunity. I welcome and thank, I'm thankful, humble for the opportunity to be able to share in that experience and what we do in that kind of teaching that we do here. So the role of the spirit in the family is what we're going to be talking about. But my, my subject, I want you to title this. So we're talking about the role of the spirit in the family. That's what this particular session is about. But uh, I want you to title this message, Faith working through love. Faith working 
through love. And if you would bear with me, some of the things that we're going to uh, start off by saying, introducing, is going to be things that you've probably heard, but I want you to put on ears as if you've never heard it. Because uh, in light of what we're teaching, in light of what we're teaching, we need to be sure that we, uh, that we have uh, reinforced these things. We need to be sure that we have, are, are uh, revisiting these things because they're going to tie tremendously into this teaching. So as a sinner, turn to Galatians chapter 3, we're going, uh, I'm sorry, 5, Galatians chapter 5, and we are going to get there in just a few minutes. But as you are turning there, uh, I want to start by saying that a sinner is not only saved by grace. We know that grace, grace, we are saved through grace by by faith. Right. So the a sinner is not only saved by grace through faith, but the saved sinner lives by grace. That's important. Not only is a sinner saved, and I, listen, I want you to, I want, I want you to tune in, and that's why I'm taking my time to make sure that I enunciate my words because I want you to tune in to every word that I say. No word, no word is for not. It's all because of something, right? So a sinner is not only saved by grace through faith, but the saved sinner lives by grace. Lives by grace. Grace is the way to life. Grace is the way to life and the way of life for the believer. Grace is the way to life and grace is the way of life. For the believer. Grace is the work and the working. It's the work and the working of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit produces particular. The Holy Spirit produces particular, particular fruit. Particular. And particular simply means peculiar. Remember, we are a peculiar people, a holy nation. That means there's something different about it. So I said that the Holy Spirit produces a particular. That means a peculiar. That means an unexpected. It's unexpected of the world. The world does not expect this type of fruit. The world does not expect this type of fruit. And that is what makes it peculiar. So the Holy Spirit produces particular fruit. And it is peculiar. It is unexpected of the world. And it is distinct. It's a distinct type of fruit. A distinct type of fruit. Hold on to that. It's a distinct type of fruit that can be seen when we allow him, him, the Holy Ghost, to work in our lives. Now, hindering the work of the Holy Spirit, it will not send you to hell. But it will cause you to experience hell on earth. Okay? Hold on to that. Hindering the work of the Holy Spirit. So I said the Holy Spirit is designed to help you to produce a particular type of fruit. A peculiar fruit. A distinct type of fruit. An unexpected fruit of the world. It's expected by God, but it's not expected of man. It's not expected of this world. 
And the Holy Spirit, so we as believers, as believers, once we are saved by grace, then we should allow the grace to continue in us to help produce this peculiar, this peculiar fruit, this distinct type of fruit. And so as we do that, we receive the blessing from it. And I said, you're not going to go to hell, so you can be saved by grace and you can stop there. And you can not allow the Spirit to do other things in your life. You could do that. But I said, although hindering the work of the Holy Spirit in your life, although it would not send you to hell, you would not go to hell because of it, I said that you will experience hell on earth. And that's a promise. That's a promise. That you will experience hell on earth. Galatians chapter 5. Let's start reading at verse 13. And the scripture reads, For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. But if ye bite and devour one another... Take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. Verse 16. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So here stated is the foundation. Here in these principles. And Galatians really is, uh, um, it's a, a backbone, if you will. It's a restatement, if you will, of Romans. So Romans explicitly talks about being saved by grace. It's being, it talks about, uh, talks about all of that. But here we have another example of it because here Paul is addressing the, uh, uh, the Galatians. Paul is addressing the churches in Galatia. And there are several different cities in Galatia. Uh, and, and this letter is written to all of the, all of those churches it's written to. And he's writing this letter because, uh, since he, now he taught them. He converted them. He taught them. He taught them the word of God. But after he left, then people started creeping in. People started creeping in and teaching things that were contrary to what he was trying to lay. Contrary to the word that he was teaching. So in, the, in uh, the, uh, these Galatians, that's why he's going back to reiterate everything that he said in Romans, basically. He's trying to tell them, listen, listen. You, because uh, a lot of these, a lot of these, these folks were, uh, were Jews. So, so after coming out of the Jewish tradition, after coming out of that and being under the law, then they, and he taught them about being under grace and they had false teachers to come in and, and basically say, no, we need to stick to the law. That's what was given. That's what we need to stick to. But, but Paul, Paul was uh, again addressing here, no, 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 no. I need you to stay focused on what I told you. I need you to stay focused on, on, on what God has done, what, the, what God has done through Christ. I need you to stay focused on the work of Christ. I need you to stay focused on the work of the Holy Spirit because that is what's going to keep you. That is what's going to allow you allow you although we're not although they, although we're not under the law anymore it will allow you to because although we are not under the law we are we are not we're still under the obligation of the law 
We're not obligated. We're not obligated to try to keep it, but we're obligated to fulfill what is called in it. And and I'll, I'll explain that. I'll explain that more. So we need to understand that this is what Paul is telling us that we need to we need to remember what Christ has done and remember what the work of the Holy Ghost is in the life of the believer. That is important to remember that. So here is stated the foundation or God's principle for the believer's life. What he expects the lifestyle from the lifestyle of a believer. This is what he expects from the lifestyle of a believer. And as we have been taught, and as we will continue to teach, the institution of marriage, and we have to start, I said that this is the role of the spirit in the family, and we're going to get to the whole family. But before we have a family, we have a marriage, right? So we have a husband and a wife. We have a marriage. So we, have, we need to address that first before we go on to the broader family. And so uh, we've been taught that the institution of marriage is only to be entered into with another saved individual and not just saved, but a saved individual who is living, whose lifestyle reflects, their lifestyle should reflect that they are being led by God alone. Their lifestyle. So not just not just someone saying that they're saved. Don't you know, don't fall into the old way. Well, he he is. You know that's 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 the trick. That's the parent pleasing relationship right there. You know I found this person. Is he is he saved? Yes, he's saved. He's saved. Well, how do you know he's saved? He told me he's saved. He go to church. That's big. He's saved and he go to church. Okay, but what fruits have you seen that he saved? What does going to church or what has going to church produced in his life? See, that, that, that's, that's, a, that's a deal breaker right there. That's a deal breaker. And so parents, you, you, can't, you can't just let it stop right there. He go to church. Oh, well he found somebody. Yeah, he in church. He's saved. He go to church. What has he learned? What has he applied? What has he obeyed since he's been going to church? Since he's been saved? What has he been obeying and what has he been applying to his life? Can I see it? No, no. Let me see. No, no. Let me be the judge of that. I'm not saying he's not saved. That's not for me to say. But a fruit, a tree is known by the fruit that it bears. So let me see that fruit. I'm not judging if he's saved or not. I'm not. But I want to see some fruit. I want to see the fruit that he's producing. I want to see the fruit that she's producing. Oh, mama and daddy. Yes, she's saved. She's a virtuous. She's a virtuous woman. Why? Because she saved that she goes to church. What kind of virtue is she producing? I want to see. What is it? Let me see it. So we can't get all caught up in, 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 in that. They need to be saved, yes. But beyond that, they need, you need to be able to see a lifestyle that reflects that they are being led by God. That they are yielded to God. That they are yielded to God and the working of the Holy Ghost. A saved individual whose lifestyle reflects the working of the Holy Ghost. That's important. 
it then becomes the expectation that both in the covenant of marriage, that both in the covenant of marriage, that they are walking according to the Holy Spirit. They are walking and they are allowing the work of the Holy Spirit in their life. That becomes very important. And this teaching is focused, but so, so although I said that, that it's important that the marriage unit, that both in the marriage unit, that they both be walking in God, they both be saved, they both be walking and yielding to the Holy Spirit. This teaching is focused on the individuals in the marriage. This teaching is focused on the individuals that make up the marriage. And not the marriage unit because there are the individuals make up the unit. So the marriage unit it makes up individual and, and that's that's what we need to address. In a marriage it's not always about well, it is about the troubles. So it's so it's about the troubles that we have, but the troubles that we have, a lot of those troubles come from the people, the individual people that are involved in that marriage covenant. So that's why we have to address the individuals. An individual person is saved by grace, not the marriage unit. <laughs> the marriage unit is not saved by grace. They are The individuals in that marriage unit, those are the ones that are saved by grace. And so that's why we're talking to the individuals. That's important. Yes, you become one in the flesh. You become one in the flesh, meaning that you are tied to, you are bound to that person. That means that you have committed to living and facing life together. That's what that marriage means. It means you're tied. It means you're bound together. It means that you have committed yourself with to another individual that the two of you, the two of you would walk together, walk together in the life with one another who, and you both have committed to doing the same thing. However, the walk that you're doing, although it's together, is still a separate walk. You walk together, but it's still a separate walk. Because you can live one lifestyle, or you can do one type of thing, and that spouse could do something else. You're still married. You're still married. However, one chooses to allow the Spirit of God to work in and through them. And the other one may not. That's why it's an individual walk. Now again, we want to see, that's why it's important before you get married, that you see that they are allowing the Holy Ghost to do its work. That's important to see. And that's why we don't want you to entangle yourself and bound yourself to someone who doesn't. But sometimes we find ourselves in that type of situation. Sometimes we find ourselves. In that situation. So what does it mean to walk? That, to walk means to progress. Just think about natural walking. That means to progress. And as you walk, that means you're progressing towards a destination. That means you're progressing towards something as you walk, putting one foot in front of the other. And so as you put one day after the other, you get up every morning. That, that day-to-day life, that, the day-to-day life that you live, that is your progress. That means to walk. That means to make one's way. To make your way. That means to direct one's life. Your walk. That means simply to live. Simply to live. And to live means to regulate one's existence. To live. That's you regulate your existence. To live means to regulate your existence. And to conduct oneself. That's to live. To regulate your existence and to conduct 
yourself. Hold on to that because that's going to be key as well. To regulate means to control or to direct by a rule, by a standard, by a principle, by a method of operation. It's to control, direct, by a rule, a standard, a principle, or a method of operation. To reg- I said to regulate your life. That means you are controlling your life by a direct rule. You are controlling your life by a standard. You're controlling your life by a principle. You're controlling your life by a method of operation. To regulate means to adjust as to assure, to, for, for, to assure accuracy. To regulate. You make some adjustments. You make some adjustments to ensure accuracy. When you find out that something is off, you make adjustments to ensure accuracy. That's to control your life. That's to regulate your life. And finally, to regulate means to put in good order. To put in good order. So, Here again in the book of Galatians, Paul is addressing the churches of Galatia. Starting at verse 13, we're going to dive right into this. 5 and 13. For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. So I told you he's, here he's talking about that they have been called from uh, the liberty of being under the law to being under the law of grace. And he's saying don't use that occasion for an occasion to the flesh. Just because we're saying that you are not under the law doesn't mean that you can just go out and just do against the law. I mean do everything against the law and think that you're okay. That this is what he's saying. He said, don't, don't, allow, don't allow that to be an occasion to your flesh, to where you think you can just do whatever it is that you want to do because you're not under law, but because you're under grace. That's what he's saying here. He's saying, <coughs> brethren and believers, that they have been called to freedom from the law. It includes the Ten Commandments. It includes other things too. But because the law of grace is working in their lives, they should not use it as an opportunity. You don't use it as an opportunity to say or do anything to satisfy the flesh. Hold on to that. Because again, we're talking about, what, what did I say we're starting with? We're starting with the, the, uh, the marriage. We're starting with the marriage covenant. That's important. That's important. You are free from the law of the Ten Commandments, but because the law of grace is working in your life, or should be working in your life, you don't allow that to be an opportunity to say or to do things to satisfy your flesh. So the flesh, what is the flesh? It is the entire fallen man. It's not just sin in the body. That's not, that's not, that, it's not just that. It's not just the sinful body, but it includes the sin-sick soul and the mind. It includes the sin-sick soul, your spirit, and your mind. So we should not use it as an occasion to indulge in corrupt affections. We should not use it to indulge in practices, particularly anything that will create distance, anything that will create distance and disaffection. Think about what I just said. 
again, as it relates to what we are talking about in marriage. We should not allow, we should not allow ourselves to be governed by our flesh where we would do anything that will, in any practice, that we will not do anything, say anything, that we will not fall into corrupt affections. We will not do any of those things that will cause us to be distant and with disaffection. To cause you not to be affectionate towards your spouse. Or use it as a grounds for arguments. We shouldn't use it as a grounds for arguments. Freedom from the curse of the law does not release us from the obligations of it. We're not under the curse of the law, but the obligation of the law to fulfill it is done in one word, through love. When you, when you fulfill, we fulfill the law and all of those requirements when we operate under the law of grace, Operating under the law of Christ, and the law of Christ says to love. It says to love the Lord your God, the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength. And the second is to love your neighbor as yourself. All wrapped up in love. So we should not use our occasions to the flesh, or not being under the law for occasion to a flesh, because again, love will cause us to fulfill the obligations of what the law states. The obligations of what the law states. Uh, and again, it, and the, the law is broken down into several things. It's, it's, it's sin against God. It's sin against man. And so that's what, that's what he's saying. He says we won't sin against God. And we won't sin against man. If we were to follow and to use the law of love. Being in Christ. And being in Christ also means that the spirit of the living God then comes to live in you and causes you, causes you, if you allow and not hinder, it will cause you to live a life that will fulfill that law of love. It will cause you to fulfill the law of Love. So we still have to live godly. Under, although we're not under the curse of the law, the obligation of that law is godly living. That's, that's, that's what it boils down to. It boils down to godly living. We live as Christ. We live unto Christ. We live as Christ lived. That is what godly living is. And so we should use our freedom. We should use our freedom in grace. So we are free from the law, but we have freedom in grace. See, we don't, we don't concentrate on, on enough of that. We have freedom in grace. We always try to, and we worry about the things that, you know, again, the things that we cannot do. And as our pastors always said, you can do everything but sin. You can do everything but sin. But we try to we concentrate on those things that we can do. How about concentrating on the things that we can do? We know that we are we have freedom in grace. We have liberty in grace. Meaning what? That means that the, the grace, the freedom that we have in grace, it frees us to be and do what God is calling us to be and do. That that's what that means. It means that we are free in grace. I'm free. With everything that grace embodies, I'm free in that. And that is what I need to hold on to. That is what I need to concentrate on. That should be my focus. Is that I'm free in grace. I'm free to do what God has called me to do. I'm free to be what God has called me to be. I'm free to live like God has called me to live. I am free. 
and free indeed. I'm free and I'm free indeed. And so those are the kinds of things that we need to keep in mind always and for, for everything, but particularly when it comes to, because we're talking about this, this subject, particularly when it comes to the things in our marriage. <laughs> Let that sink in. Because so many times, and I don't know if it's just because we're, we get too familiar that's what it is. And we should be familiar with our spouse, right? We should know them. Know them inside and out. And, and because you do know them, because the scripture tells us that we need to, we need to, to, to uh, 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 communicate with one another. We need to operate with one another. We need to function with one, with one another, number one, out of the knowledge that we have of them and the knowledge that we have of God. We don't need to become, become too familiar with them in the sense that we don't remember that they are also God's child. That they are also our brother and sister in the Lord. That they are also our neighbor. As the scripture says, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength, and to love your neighbor... As yourself. Your spouse is your neighbor. Actually, that's the closest neighbor you got. Because you don't have walls separating you. That Your spouse is the closest neighbor that you have. And so this definitely applies. It applies across the board. And I think we forget that sometimes. And I think we forget it because we're so used to just live, just going, just living life day by day, and again going through the challenges that we do. Just, just living life. What are we gonna eat? What are we gonna do? What are we gonna do with the children? What are we go? You know, where are we going for vacation? What you know? What work? How was work? You know, we we get so familiar like in that regard that we forget. Oh yes, this is my brother and my sister in Christ. This is the closest neighbor that I have. This is the closest neighbor that I have. Verse 14. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Verse 15. But if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. Biting and devouring. This is very contrary to what the spirit of the living God will produce in your life. Uh, we talked about producing particular kind of fruit, peculiar. Well, this is contrary to that peculiar type of fruit. This is the, the fruit that the world expects. The world expects from biting and because they do it all the time. They do it all the time. So that's what they expect. This is contrary to what the fruit of the spirit will produce in your life. The contrary behavior to loving will lead to nothing. The contrary behavior, again, hang on every word. The contrary behavior to loving will lead to nothing but more strife and contention. And it will consume you. You will be consumed by it. You will be led to nothing good. It, it, it will lead to nothing good and you will be consumed by that devour. You will be consumed by that, back, that uh, backbiting and, and biting. You will be consumed by those things. 
So what are some contrary? Because I know backbiting and devouring. So you, you're going to act like you don't know. So let me give you some examples. Real, real examples. Okay? What are some contrary behaviors? Criticism. Criticism, a constant fault finding. Constantly fault finding. Every little thing. Every small thing. That's nitpicking. You nitpick at every little thing. He didn't do this. She didn't do that. Just didn't do this. She didn't do that. Just nitpicking. Small things. Just small things. Unimportant. Unimportant things. Unimportant thoughts and errors in order to criticize unnecessarily. And we do that. We do that. We find little things that we could just let go because it's unimportant. Because it's small, because it's unimportant. We could just let it go. But no, we want to point out those things. And every time we do it, we want to point them out. Criticizing. Finding fault. Every little thing. Remember I said that we need to stay away from those things that will bring contention and strife. We just stay away from those things that will bring about a division, that will bring about a dissatisfaction. Nitpicking, that will cause some dissatisfaction. Well, the scriptures talk about the, the, the wife on the tin roof. I would rather, I would, look, I would rather be on the roof than being in the house with a contentious woman. And I dare say the same thing for a woman. She would rather be on the house, on top of the house, knowing she don't like that. Roof work outside? I don't want to do that. But I would rather be up there than to have a husband who's always nitpicking at every small little thing that I do. Bringing contention. Bringing sight. Unnecessarily. Now, now get it. Now, listen. Listen, listen to these things with an ear to hear as the scripture teaches, right? So I'm not, now again, I'm not talking about addressing things that need to be addressed. And there's a way to do that. There's a way to do that when you need to address some things in, in your spouse's life that, that needs to be addressed, that they need to look at. There's a certain way to do that, too. Now, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about constant criticism. I'm talking about nitpicking unnecessarily, just trying to find something. Just trying to find something. Verse 16. It says, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So the only consistent way, the only consistent way to overcoming, fulfilling the desires of your flesh, the desire to be right all the time, the desire to be right, that, that, see, that's, that's, a, that's a lust of the flesh, a desire to be right. That's a lust of the flesh. So in order to consistently overcome fulfilling those desires of the flesh or that human nature, it is to live step by step, day by day, step by step. Remember we talked about walking, walking, walking. So it's, it's a constant to live step by step in the power or under the influence of the Holy Spirit. That's the only way you can do that. That is the only way that you can do that is if you live step by step Day by day, step by step, moment by moment. You have to do that. 
conscientious of doing that in the power and the, under the influence of the Holy Ghost so that you will not overcome, so that you can overcome fulfilling the desires of your flesh. Walking each moment by faith in God's word and under the Spirit's control assures absolute victory over the desires of our sinful nature. That's the only thing that's going to help. That's the only thing that is going to help. And so remember I said earlier, I talked about uh, uh, hindering the work of the Holy Ghost. And I said that it will not send you to hell, but it will cause you to experience hell on earth. And this is what I mean. This is what I mean. All those contentions, all that strife, all those things that, that, that you do to, to bite one another, to devour. And you know, those things, they tear down, devour. You can tear down your spouse with your words. You can tear them down. You know, um, some people, <clears throat> some people, and, and, and uh, some people, that, you know, they don't care. They have that, that's the type of personality that they have. You know, I don't care what people say about me. I don't care what, you know, I just don't care. I don't care. But guess what? When you have a spouse, when you have tied yourself, when you have respected someone enough, or when you have loved someone enough to tie yourself to them, you, you do. Every word that they say. Every word. Why? Because you have given them. Tying yourself to them, you have given an influence over your life. You have given them some influence in your life. And so, of course, who, who marries somebody and, and, and have not given them influence in their life? Somebody that I, I, I can't trust you, I'll, you know, anything that you say, I just, who does that? Nobody. Anybody that you have decided to marry is because you have put some type of trust in them. It's because some of them, it's because you value you value what they say. You value what they say. And so that's why I said words, words can definitely tear down your spouse. And women, it talks about that in the scripture, about tearing down in, in, in song in, in Proverbs, about tearing down your hands with your tearing down your home with your own hands. That's a part of it. Tearing down your spouse is a part of it. Not all of it, but that's a part of it. You can do that. So I said, what if? So again, we talked about that this, you know, marriage. So under the best circumstances, uh, what we desire is that you marry someone, you're both saved, you're both walking in the word, you're both living according to the spirit of God. It's evident that you both are yielded to the spirit of God, allowing God to work in your life, allowing the Holy Spirit to work. But I said, what if, what if you're married to somebody who is unsaved? What if you married somebody who was unsaved? You knew it or pretended not to know it. Or you didn't know it. Right? But you only could not know it if you're not paying attention. And, and I would say, you, I would dare say that it's not, it's not that you didn't know, it's that you chose to ignore it. For other reasons. You chose to ignore it just because how fine he was. You know, I'll, I'll bypass him being saved just because how fine he is. We bypass it. We tend, we tend to look over things when we do that. So what if you both were unsaved? What about you both being unsaved before you were married? But now God has found you. God has saved you. You whoever. You being the, the husband. You being the wife. 
Now you were both unsaved. Now you are saved. What happens then? But your spouse is still unsaved. What happens? We're going to address all of these things during these teachings. What if you entered a marriage with someone who professed and continues to profess salvation, but does not live the life of someone who is saved? Remember I said, you, you, you've chosen, you've bound yourself, you've chosen to walk, to walk in this life together, that your lives would, 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 would come together, that you would be bound to them in this life, that you would walk life together, but I said that the walk is still individual. So, they say that they're saved, you say that you're saved, you're both professing salvation, but one is allowing the Spirit of God to work in their life, and the other is not. One is allowing the Spirit of God to do in them and through them as God pleases. But the other one is hindering the work of the Spirit because salvation, I'm saved, I'm good. I'm saved, I'm good. I don't need all of the other stuff. It's okay that I still do this. It's okay that I still do. Not allowing sanctification. Not allowing them, their minds to be renewed day by day. I'm, I'm saved, I'm good. They have that mindset. Oh, I don't have to go to church like you go to church. It's okay. I'm saved. I'm still saved. What happens? So now we have this different walk, right? So we both say, I want to go to church. I desire to hear the word because I know what the word can do in my life. I desire changes in my life because I want to walk closer to God. That's that's why I became saved, so that I can be closer to God. Get away from those other things and be closer to God. But your spouse... They're okay with just being saved. I don't, you know, all of that other stuff, that's extra. For me, that's extra. I'm good. I'm going to heaven. I bypass hell. I'm going to heaven. But all that extra stuff is unnecessary. Unnecessary stuff that you're doing. I don't see the need to do it. What if you are... The only one in the marriage striving to live a principled life. In your home, you're striving to live according to the principles of the Word of God. But your spouse does not have that desire. What happens? What do you do? You still must live. Listen and listen good. Listen closely. Whichever situation you may find yourself in, and all of that that I just explained, and all of that, that I just laid out, you still, as the believer, you still must live your life as the believer you profess to be. You still have that obligation to do that. Regardless of what your spouse is doing or not doing, you still must live your life as the believer that you profess to be. This walk is individual and it is not collective in that sense. You are collective in marriage, but your walk is with God alone. And your walk is an individual one. Your walk with God is an individual one. And hopefully, as the two of you walk with God individually, you allow God to come in and to, to bring that, that union into a, a, a nice, toe, a nice uh, bow tie for you. 
That, then that's, see, that's when you can experience, that's when you, ex- you can experience God's goodness all the way around. All the way around. And that's what we want. You want a godly marriage such as that. You don't want to have to struggle in marriage because one is saved, because you're saved but your spouse is not. So don't, don't do it. Don't tie yourself like that in the beginning. But again, if you are both unsaved, and now when you got married, and now one is saved and one is not, you're still under that obligation. And then there's some things that you should and should not do. <laughs> and we're going to talk about that. But there's some things, you start, you're telling me I still must live, I still must do, I still must walk according to what that scripture says about you know, biting and not devouring. And, and I, you, you're saying that I should still, I have to do? Yes, that's what I'm saying. Because your walk, again, is your own. And the scripture says what? To love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength, and to love thy neighbor. It, didn't say, it says love thy neighbor. It didn't say love thy neighbor who is a believer. It didn't say love thy neighbor who is godly. It didn't say love thy neighbor who expresses to be saved and who, who yields their life to Christ. It did not say that. It said neighbor. Neighbor. Whoever that might be, it said neighbor. And that covers everybody. Saved or unsaved. That covers everybody. So you still have an obligation. You still have an obligation to live your life as the believer that you profess to be, no matter what anybody else does. That's not your concern. Now, yes, it becomes a closer concern, because if it's in your house, of course, because you, li- you have to live with it. But that individual person's walk with God, that is not your concern. And I will tell you, I'm out of time, I'm going to tell you what your concern should be when it comes to being in that home and being in that marriage. God is faithful. This has been a teaching message from Church of the Living Water at Austin. For more information about our ministry, please go to our website at livingwateraustin.net.